Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Our reading this evening is in Mark chapter 4. Please do take one of the Bibles or look it up on your phone. Mark chapter 4, reading from verse 35 through to chapter 5, verse 20. If you're using a church Bible, you'll find it on page 839 or in the large print 998. So Mark chapter 4, reading from verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he, that is Jesus, said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. 
The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everybody marveled. And would you please find Mark chapter 4 again? Uh, Now in Mark's Gospel, we're making kind of a move into a new section. And here we're confronted with four kind of massive situations. The the worst, we've got this major storm uh, that David read to us, verses uh, 4, verses 35 to 41. Then a colossal force of evil, uh, and that's 5, 1 to 20. And then next week, we're going to see two more, uh, an incurable disease and then death itself. Um, Now, sometimes Christians, we, we can be accused that we sit in some kind of ivory tower away from Uh, the difficult things of life. But if that's true, then it it probably means we haven't read this bit of Mark's uh, gospel. Mark's not hiding from any of the worst bits of life here. Um, And they're they're all there for us to to see today, aren't they? In the news each week, natural disasters, um, evil, disease, death. Uh, They're real uh, for each of us in different ways. But as we're going to see, Mark's not just not just showing us some, some bad situations to kind of say, yeah, yeah, I know that the world's bad too. Remember, this, this book is about his main character. It's about Jesus Christ. In the, the midst of the darkness, he wants to show us why Jesus really matters. And the question that rings out in this whole section is there on the lips of the disciples in, the, in verse 41, who then is this? That's the question. Who is this Jesus And to do that, we're going to look at how bad things really get. We're going to look at some forces of deathly desperation. It's a bit of a light beginning. Um, Then then we're going to see what Jesus does about it. He has an awesome power, a power of life and love. Uh, And then we'll see how people react to him with fear or faith. So firstly, how bad things get. Let's, let's look at these forces of deathly uh, desperation. Okay, so the, the, the disciples, they've just had a full day's teaching uh, from Jesus uh, of chapter 4. They're probably pretty tired. But the next 24 hours are going to push them to the limits um, as they face these two mighty forces. They're going to see a force of nature and the force of evil. So firstly, this force of nature. They've got into their boats with Jesus, gliding across the lake. You know, perhaps the water is lapping at the edge, the the sails filling nicely. But the weather picks up. 
Okay, the wind starts to gust, the sail kind of gulps and, and the ropes creak and the boat begins to plunge. Uh, waves start crashing over the side, the cold water is slopping at their feet uh, and spraying their faces. And for these fishermen, uh, this was it. Okay, this was a, a great windstorm, it says, and the boat's going down. That's it. Panic spreads. Terror sinks in. Verse 38, they woke Jesus and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? They're desperate. Desperate because this force of nature was so great. Okay, This is worse than seasoned fishermen could cope with. They knew this was it. Death was on the horizon. This force of nature, it meant a deathly desperation. It's huge, isn't it? A mighty power. That these disciples are lost in. Is there hope? And now before we get on to what happened next, we're just going to skip ahead. We're going to take these two passages kind of in parallel. Um, so the disciples, as we've just seen, have faced one of the worst uh, storms in their lives. And, and 5 verse 1, they make it to the other side. Perhaps it's morning time. We're not, we're not kind of told. But the, the sun's just rising over the eastern hills. But there's no moment of quiet landing. Okay, verse 2. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Okay, here came a man of death. He's straight out of the tombs. And he is wild. The description of the next verses is extraordinary, isn't it? He is living amongst the tombs like a wild animal. He can't be bound. Shackles and chains, they're nothing on this strong man. He is ferociously strong and clearly terrifying for those around him. He's a danger to others. He's a danger to himself. He's utterly out of control. It is a gut-wrenching life, isn't it, for this man? Alone? crying out, bruised, cutting himself with stones. Uh, but this is not all. As a friend of mine, uh, Michael Peter Leach, put it, he lives in death and death lives in him. Not only is, in, is he in the tombs, there is this stench of death inside due to the utter force of evil that's there. And this is not like any situation Jesus had come across yet. Sure, there have been demon-possessed men, but not like this. Okay, this guy had a legion of them, thousands of them. This evil force has taken over. Okay, just notice how the singular and the plural just switch and mingle. Just look at verse 9. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Okay, he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them Out of the country, my turns to we, him turns to them. This is a wrapped up life. You can't distinguish anymore between the man and the army that's living in him. And notice what he does. Verse 6, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran, fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? You know, this is no gentle incident. Imagine being there, one of the disciples, a a naked, bleeding man, huge beard, madness in his eyes, comes running down uh, the slope towards you, leaping over rocks, then falling before Jesus and shouting at him. You'd be like, whoa, get back in the boat, Jesus, run for your lives. This is serious. What a force of evil right there. Deathly desperation. Two. 
Two huge moments for the disciples in these 24 hours, wasn't it? And perhaps some of them ring true a bit for you. Perhaps you've experienced that kind of force of nature, a force so beyond you, so much bigger than you. I don't know, perhaps a storm like the disciples or a, a hurricane. Perhaps rather than the weather around you, it was the ground beneath you. It was a, an earthquake or a landslide or an, an avalanche up in the mountains. I don't know. But there's that moment of realization. This is way beyond anything you've known before, isn't it? I remember seeing video footage of the Japanese tsunami back in 2011. This unstoppable wall of water marching through the coastal towns, just destroying everything in its path, an utter force of nature. I think living in cities with flood control, warning systems, we live in a temperate climate, we witness kind of human technical prowess, it, it all means, feels we, we've kind of tamed nature, haven't we? But every so often we get reminders of this kind of power, or perhaps it's not nature that you've experienced. Um, perhaps, um, perhaps not like legion, uh, but it's evil you've seen. Even um, legion seems to be more extreme uh, in Jesus' experience, but you've, you've witnessed or experienced some kind of he- evil uh, that humans can reach. Or, you, or you've seen the impacts of satanic worship or meddling with the occult can have on your friends and family. I don't know. Now, some of you here may think I'm utterly crazy, um, uh, thinking that any of this is real. Come on, Will. You know, we live in the 20, 21st century. Uh, we know none of this is real. There's no spiritual world. There's no demons. There's no devil. It's just the way 2,000 years ago people talked about it. It's medical. Science explains it all. We're in control. But no, no, unashamedly, the Bible is clear. There is a spiritual world. Our world is not just matter and chance. Science can only measure the material world anyway. Of course it can't tell, her, tell to us or prove to us a spiritual world. But Jesus is clearly engaging here with a spiritual world. One not to be kind of messed with, played around with. There is power here. I still remember as a kid watching um, one of the early Big Brother TV shows. Some of you may remember them. You know, a bunch of people are thrown into a house together and there's just cameras everywhere watching them 24-7. I remember one show, they gave them a load of spiritualist things like a Ouija board. And I still remember it. There was this, this moment of absolute fear in one of the contestants when she realized that there was more going on here. She realized she was engaging with a, a force she had no control over. She quickly left the game. We live in a world where evil does exist. It's at work. We can't see it. Of course, we don't go around pointing at people saying, oh, you're demon-possessed or anything like that. But there is a force here that can overpower humans. This, this poor man in the story, he was lost. He was in a place of deathly desperation. You know, in both these situations, and perhaps you've known it, you, know, you and me, we're, we're utterly powerless in the face of forces like this. You know, we're like a canoe having an ocean liner bearing down on us. And, and in these moments, there is deathly desperation. Is there hope? Is there hope? Well, there's more. Let's get back into the boat, in a sense, with the disciples. Okay, Back into the waves, back into the ferocious wind and the sinking vessel. Back to that haunting question. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? So look with me at verse 39. And Jesus awoke 
and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. What an extraordinary final few words. There was a great calm. Okay, just feel it. Feel the air still, kind of gently brushing against your cheeks. The rolling of the boat slowly easing into a gentle rocking. The silence, it's, it, it's so loud after all the noise. A great calm. To some of us, these words are so familiar, but just listen to them. Okay, A man who was walking around 2,000 years ago, a man who had been asleep because he was tired, stood up, rebuked the wind and the sea, and it worked. Okay? We can all shout at the weather, can't we? Probably some of us have even tried it. But Jesus had absolute power over it. He controlled it. It obeyed him. It did his bidding. This is a supernatural power like anything else, isn't it? It's a great calm. And then let's head across the lake again, back to the legion and this man um, who was just on the edge of life and humanity. But listen to what happened to him. Okay, rather than roaming through the tombs, naked, bleeding, uncontrollable, verse 15, and the people from the city and the country, they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man the one who had had the legion sitting there, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. Isn't that amazing? What an utter transformation. Similar to the storm, there was this storm of evil and now a great calm in his life. Again, what absolute power. Even thousands and thousands of demons. Demons bent on destruction as this, this strange incident with a pig shows us. Jesus could overpower them. They had to obey him. It's actually there right from the start. Uh, they knew they couldn't win because in verse 7 they, they say, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. They knew who they stood before. A power that could rid the world of evil. This was some power, wasn't it? Absolute power. But Jesus wasn't some conjurer or performer. He wasn't doing this as some kind of party trick. Nor was he doing it for his own personal gain or, or kind of vengeful destruction. He's not like some, some despot who, who uses power to accumulate wealth, amass glory and personal uh, kind of prestige. No, he was, he was bringing a life in a place of death. He was rescuing people. He was saving people. This was not a force of deathly desperation. Instead, the disciples, they're confronted with a power of love and life brought life you know he turned a storm that was going to kill these disciples into a place of peace he turned a man who lived in death with death living in him into a person of sanity of peace and life he he brought life it was a deep expression of love for these people that's what it was love and life restoring saving life-giving power it's like a a parent who switches on the light when a, a child's had a terrifying nightmare isn't it like a doctor whose intervention has, has rid a body of cancer. It's love and life. Who then is this? The disciples are crying out. It's God himself, isn't it? Mark doesn't tell us that, but surely that's what's going on here. No ordinary human can do this. This is no ordinary power. This is a life-giving, love-filled, absolute saving power. 
But the question perhaps for some of us right now is, is this. Well, if that's true, if Jesus is really God right there, God who had taken on humanity, then why the storm? Why the demon-possessed man? If he's so powerful, he's, what's, what's it doing here? Why, why did tsunamis kill millions of people? Why do people get entangled in evil? For some of us, this may be pretty raw and real. What's he going to do about it? Now, this incident in Mark's Gospel only hints at an answer to the question, why? But it does give us an answer to what he's going to do about it. Actually, the, the Bible's pretty quiet on the question of why. In the Garden of Eden, just think, the serpent, he just appears. There's no explanation of his existence. He just does. Paul helps us to understand a little bit of the complex, kind of chaotic relationship between the natural world and humans and how it's, it's actually down to the, the cosmic reach of our sin. How humanity, the, the pinnacle of the natural world in rejecting God, somehow, somehow brought frustration, disconnect, a, a fundamental breakdown to the natural world so that humans face natural disasters in a brutal and horrific way. But this moment in Jesus' life points, uh, shows us God is, is he's pointing us to something else. He wants us to see what he's doing about it. These two moments, okay, and with two more to come that we're going to see uh, next week, Jesus uh, is showing us Jesus' power to save us from the most desperate situations. To bring us... Uh, to bring what was of death to life. He, he's pointing us forward to his ultimate power of resurrection, of breaking free of death itself. His, his power over nature and evil, this power of love and life, is one that will conquer. It will bring about a new natural order, one without evil, without a serpent, without evil and, uh, and disasters, a new creation, a redeemed and rescued one, a one of eternal life. These two moments, in a sense, of just pulling back the curtain on a future world, a world we all want, a world of great calm, a world of peace, a world of order, of calm outside and inside us. As John puts it in Revelation, it's a place where there is no sea. I mean, it's no forces of chaos, no forces of evil. You may be looking at the world and seeing its demise, seeing it fall apart, both on the, the surface, I know, with inescapable forest fires, drought, giant floods, and on the inside, dark hearts, uh, evil hearts. Well, let these moments lift your eyes to a future world, a world where the waves are still and where people are in their right mind, human again, through the power of Jesus. His power of life and love. His saving power. This is what he came to do. Isn't he extraordinary? Well, how do we respond? Well, Mark sets before us two uh, opposite ways. Okay, so in this, this face of deathly desperation, confronted by life and love, Mark leads us with fear or faith. Fear or faith. Now, two groups are in fear in this passage. Verse 41, it's the, the disciples. They're filled with a great fear. You see that? And then it's the town folk. End of uh, 5 verse 14. They were afraid. They, they, they've looked at Jesus' raw power. 
and they've gone, whoa, okay, this, this is terrifying. This is a petrifying kind of power. In one sense, they got it. They got how awesome Jesus Christ is. They got his absolute authority over all things. But that, that recognition of power tumbled into a fear. Not a good kind of fear like we see in the Old Testament. You know, it's not like Proverbs where it says a fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. No, that's a, a, a reverential, worshipful fear. Now here's something different. Um, for the disciples, it's just astonishment, bafflement, confused fear. They thought they knew what was going on, but they had completely underestimated what they've got themselves in for. Jesus has just kind of thrown up their categories and ideas up into the air and it's falling down into a mess. Like, who is this? Perhaps that's you. You've been going to church for a bit. Or you've read a bit of the Bible. You've chatted with a friend. But, but this kind of Jesus, whoa, hang on a sec. I'm here for the religion. I'm here for the nice words, for the good way to live. This is a, this is a power I'm not sure I'm ready for. Well, if that's you, stick with him. Okay, keep going along with the disciples through Mark's gospel. They did not run at this point. Sure, they're terrified. But they wanted to know more. Do the same if that's you. Perhaps you're more like the townsfolk who've, who, who've seen the calm man. Have a look at verse 17 of chapter 5. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Their fear meant they wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Keep away, Jesus. You know, there's something odd here. There's something great, too great. Go away from me. It's like they were swimming in the sea and, a, and like a, a small shark is circling them and it's coming closer and closer and they're swimming as hard as they can. Uh, and then just as they look, a ferocious great white kind of appears and rips and pulls the, the small shark under the water, eating it in a gulp. Okay? The level of fear goes up at a million times at that point, doesn't it? And these guys are looking at Jesus and rather than seeing a savior, they're seeing a great white shark. A greater terror. Get away from us, Jesus. She very uh, like the Pharisees. But what they failed to look carefully at was the man sitting on the grass. He was calm. He was in his right mind. He was saved. Rather than a great white shark, Jesus is the rescue boat netting the smaller shark. Is that you? Do you want to keep Jesus at a safe distance? You don't want things to actually get too real? You don't want to see what he can actually do in your life? You don't don't actually trust him? You may do that overtly, like the guys in this story, begging him to leave. Jesus, I want nothing to do with you. If that's you, don't, don't miss what kind of man this Jesus is. He doesn't only have a raw, extraordinary power. He also has a power that saves. He brings life. Now and for the future, eternal life. Talk to people who are Christians. And ask them, how have you seen Jesus' love in your life? And perhaps you'll start to realize the Christian sitting next to you is in their right mind. Saved and loved. I wonder if if some of us do this while looking like we're doing the opposite. I heard recently of a preacher in a church. Uh, he just finished the service and a visitor, an elderly woman, came in and at the end of the service started hounding him a bit on the state of his soul. And he just asked gently to her, do you love Jesus too? 
And this question flummoxed her. Like, love of Jesus? She, she didn't know what to do with this. It seems as if she had been keeping Jesus at a safe distance while still talking in religious language. She didn't actually want him too close. You know, Jesus, don't change me. Don't actually challenge me. Don't change my assumptions or how I live. Things are comfortable. My life's going in a nice direction. I've got a good job. I've got a nice family. Yes, there are things wrong in the world, but that's not my problem. Take your life-changing power somewhere else. There's a fear. Fear of what he might do. But there's another response, isn't there? A response of faith. And it's there in the man formerly called Legion. Here is a man who entrusts his whole life to Jesus Christ. It's wonderful, isn't it? He's just experienced the depths of salvation. He's experienced death to life. He realized this power was for his good. And now, rather than begging Jesus to leave, verse 18, he begs that he might be with him. Here is a a love for Jesus, a love that of course spills out in obedience to Jesus. Because verse 19, Jesus doesn't permit him but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Isn't that beautiful faith? He went in obedience to Jesus, speaking of how glorious the Lord is of his mercy and love, he entrusted his whole life to the Lord. His present, his future. I was struck recently uh, talking to a member of this church. Uh, she has, uh, has given her life to Jesus despite things being hard at home, despite seeing tough things uh, at work. But there's a calm, there's a peace about her because she's with Jesus. And it, and it just spills out in a warmness to others. Why? Because she's entrusted her life to him, to a life-giving saviour. She has faith in him. Because that's why we're here, isn't it? That's why we've come here on our Sunday evening. It's because of Jesus. Because in him we know there's life. In him there's great calm. A calm that we can trust A calm that we can hold on to even when outside of us life is raging with these uncontrollable forces because he's greater, isn't he? He has absolute loving power. We don't need to fear him. Instead, we can have faith in him. To trust him. Let me just pray as we finish. Oh Lord Jesus, show us your glory. Lord, in the midst of these forces bigger than ourselves, may we see you. May our hearts hold on to you, trusting in you, our Lord of life. Amen.